I'm Mel Stewart, and this is Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me is Coleman Hodges, Swim Swam Head of Production and the man on deck at all the swimming meets. And today, we have a special guest. We are so, so lucky. You only need to know one metric about this guy. This man held the world record in the 50-meter freestyle longer than any human being on Earth 12 years. Today, we have the godfather of speed, Tom Jager. Good morning, everybody. I don't know about the Godfather. I feel pretty old these days, so maybe that's that's the way to go. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was a I enjoyed swimming fast. That was my main goal. Well, I I think that we have to address the elephant in the room, and I just want to say this. I, I've known I'm going to give you a first person account of Tom Jigger history, but I always assumed, even from being a child, that eventually Tom would lose his hair, but he's he's hung on to it all these years, and I, I just want to say you know, I'm impressed. Yeah, well, you know, my boys are so worried because they don't want to lose their hair. They're like 20. And I said, well, I started losing my hair at 18. I've had the same hairline forever. So I'm pretty used to it. It's just the people who see me for the first time. You, <laughs> like, you, know, you know how to wear it. You look great, buddy. The, uh, so I feel let's, good. I feel great. So, I mean, everyone needs to, everyone needs to understand your met metrics. You got to be honest with you. When I talk to swimmers and they don't know their swim history, sometimes I get a little, I get a little upset. So you bet. Yeah. no, okay. Five time, five time Olympic gold medalist, seven time Olympic medalist, a two time world champion. Uh, you set the world record six different times. I think you traded it with Matt Biondi four separate times. Is that correct? Before correct. you, before the final record. And, um, you know, it took, it took until 2000 after you, the final breaking of the world record, you lowered it from 89, 90, 91, and then a 91. And then it lasted until 2000. Well, but the first time we started breaking it was 1985 when they first recognized it as an official event. You know, finally they would decide, like, oh, hey, the sprint, we'll, we'll recognize it. We'll, you know, we'll grace it with a medal. And, you know, so 85, Robin, I broke Robin Leamy. That was the very first world record, they said. So between 85 and 2000, you know, it was Matt and I. Well, let's just put it into context. Everyone, uh -huh. everyone knew the world leading time. FINA didn't recognize it as an event. It wasn't an Olympic event. It was, so we, we, have the, we have the data, we have the times going back in history and we have the progression of times. Yeah. And uh, for swim nerds, especially in, in, our, in the swim swim community, we track it. And the, the, well, what's astounding is that, okay, you, you lowered it, you know, you, you broke it in 85, you lowered 89, 90, 91, and then it stayed there. It took Alexander Popov, Sasha, to break it in 2000, which is, which is pretty extraordinary. So I'm gonna go back through your history and hopefully through your history, we can, we can get some understanding of what it took to accomplish that. But I wanna give folks a first person account of you. And so they, you know, I, so I, I came on the national team and I was either the youngest or the second youngest person on the national team. And, I, I, and when you're in that position, basically, especially me, it, you're, you're annoying. You're, you're a little kid. And I want, and Tom was always my leader. Tom was like this surrogate dad. And I wanted Tom to like me so badly. I would try to think of a joke. I'd talk to my dad and find and get jokes. And I would come up to Tom and I'd start to tell a joke. And Tom would be like, Melvin, Melvin, what's the punchline? <laughs> what's the punchline? Just give me the punchline. Get to it. And, uh, so there was, a, there was a sort of an indoctrination 
into the team, but what I want people to know about you is that as a team captain, uh, I don't know that there's ever been a team captain like you. You set the bar so high. Uh, it's uh, taking that mantle on your shoulders. It, there, there, there's a lot of iteration. There's a lot of layers to that. Um, but in terms of high points, I can share two things. 19, uh, I'll share two points. 1988 was, was, uh, was not your year. You, you won a silver medal. You won, you won Olympic gold. You, you, were, you had a successful Olympics, but you know, you're a world champion, world record holder. You wanted to win. And, uh, and I remember being with you on deck in 88, and I had a bad Olympics in 88. Uh, worse than yours, but you, you took the time, even though you were in the space that you were at, to help me process where I was and told me that I'd be okay. I never forgot it. Well, thank, thanks, Mike. <laughs> you know, it's been a long time since we talked about these things. And, and I think, you know, we talk about all those different layers. Uh, in back in 88, there were so many things going on. And, and we, I was trying to be a captain. I was trying to be a sports captain, a team captain. And, and you know, that means a lot to me. And, and it means a lot that, you know, my God, my heart's going, you know, when, when people who were there realize it. Because, you know, at that time, we were going through so much criticism of, our, of, of my, even my own personal leadership of this team. For, so for someone who actually was there, because if you go back and look at any type, nobody's going to say that. The only people that understand what was going on at that time are the people that were there. Because quite frankly, everybody else has decided to forget about that era. Let's go to one more point of your leadership, and then we're going to put another layer on this history. All right. Yeah, really, yeah. And, and so you're talking around the topic, but I'm going to get to it after this, because 88 was, a, yeah. was a down. And leadership is, is, is leadership when you're down is meaningful and we're both crying. We're both at the point of tears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in 1989, another point of leadership is an up. And it's when nobody was watching. So basically, the Pan Pacific Championships were the Pan Pacific Games. It was this new iteration. Frankly, it was something that the, the governing bodies who were in this conglomerate owned. So they owned the advertising. They owned the sponsorships. It's just why they did it. So when we showed up on deck back in the 80s, there was nobody there. So we're in, were we in Tokyo? We're in Tokyo at the 1960 Olympic pool. Yeah, and, great pool, 64 maybe, but yeah. 64, okay, so, uh, sorry, that's right. Rome was 60, uh, pardon me, Tokyo was 64. Best pool in the world, by the way. Beautiful pool, but nobody's there. I mean, there, I've been to, I've been to nine, <laughs> 10 age group meets. I've been to, to the worst swimming meets on earth. It was crickets. We were basically having an inner squad meet with the, with the best, you know, with Australia and Canada. And we went through three days of just swimming in silence and people were swimming like crap. And you pulled everyone together and you said, we've got to change the dynamic. We've got to change our brain chemistry. We've got to do something. And you pumped everyone up. And on the final day, there were four world records of one of which said, we'll pay honor to everybody. Let's say Wharton 200 IM, Janet 800 free, Mike Barron 200 breast. Yep. And you're 50 meter free. But yep. that was that was another example of leadership that was extraordinary. And, you know, what, what did, how did you get us there? Well, you know, I, I get frustrated when we get a, a collective on a team. You know, I, I had great coaches. And so Balatory, you know, there was no complaining. There was no excuses. Uh, the big, Balatory spent all his time breaking down the individuals, knowing that they were on a team. That was incredibly important to me. 
Now that's the exact opposite of Eddie Reese. Eddie Reese builds up every individual and then that's how he creates his team. And, it, and it's both, they're both beautiful. I would have never been able to swim for Eddie because I, I don't want that personal attention. I want the attention to be on what I do in the water, what I do in the, in the, in the pool. And, you know, it was a very frustrating time in 88 and, and 89. We were, you know, 88, the reason we call it a low, and I got in an argument with John Leonard because he's not going to talk about it this way, is that, uh, oh, 88 was bad. Well, we came off 76 where we won everything because we had the only 50-meter pools in the world. But not saying those are great, incredible athletes, my role models, right? So my, I'm not saying anything bad about that. 76, we win everything. 80, we have a boycott. No one knows, you know, well, what's going on? 84, all the Eastern Bloc boycotts. So there's no, the, the, the half of the great swimmers were not there. So all of a sudden, USA wins everything. And, and they wanted to do that in 88. So unrealistic, so out of, out of character to say, oh, well, you didn't win every event. USA swimming is really slipping. You know, and that was crazy. I, I took offense to that. I was the captain of that team. I was like, we are not, this is, not only did we not, we're not missing a beat here. We're doing great. And, you know, and, and that's a perfect example is that that night where we set four world, every event, USA set a world record, every event out there. Have you even heard about it? The, I heard about it on Swim Swam when Don Wagner talked about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have that picture. And then I started to think about the reality of that. Think if that happened today. Oh my gosh, they would be talking, you know, all about this stuff. But you know, in that era, in that era, it was the lead. If, if I was a 200 freestyler, a 400 freestyler, or a 200 butterfly Melvin, and you know this, my leadership would have resonated with the coaches. It would have resonated with the, with the governing body. But since it was something different, since it was something new, since it was something the old school, like Don Gambrell, you know, the reason these guys didn't like the 50 is because Coach Buzzard, bless his soul, right? Coach Buzzard beat... Alabama with sprinters and Don Gamble couldn't believe it. He's like, Oh, what is going on here? We can't have that event, you know? And so that was really the, and I was, so I was fighting that ship, you know? And so you talk layers and, you know, like I said, you know, it does, it, it makes me really feel great that there are people out there that remember it because I'm just out here on a mountain coaching my kids thinking, you know, we did some good stuff. And, and uh, I think, you know, just the weird dynamic of that time, that good stuff just got pushed off the table. And unfortunately, it includes Dave Wharton, Janet Evans, and Mike Barrowman. We did something that's never been done before. Uh, good luck doing it again. Go, go get them, Katie Ledecky. Go get them. Try doing what Janet Evans did. Go do it. I'd appreciate it. Well, we want them to do it, but you've heard it from the Godfather of Speed. You heard it right here, buddy. You know, I, 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 never, I didn't think about that piece of history and that and that that change in the dynamic of college swimming and it is true that buzzard brought that in buzzard was a head coach at university of tennessee he was he was a former football coach and he and he was and that's what he did he trained sprinters but to so i didn't i didn't know you were you you had this cultural fight but really the one that everyone does remember when they think okay yeah tom jager tom jager was super fast and then you look at the, the history and you're like on the world record for freaking ever more than anybody longer than anybody else what people really think about is the is the duo between you and Biondi, dash for cash, but people on the inside, like me, know that you were fighting two fronts. You were fighting in the pool. You were fighting to be the best athlete you could possibly be, but you were also fighting for the rights of athletes to earn a dollar and secure themselves financially. To, and 
I it, 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 imagine walking into a professor's room, and I walked onto the in my, my the, the classroom, my college classroom, and the professor was Tom Jager was the pool, and I walked on the deck. I felt like I got hit in the hit in the head with a bat. I had no idea what was going on, and I, just as a teaser, and I'll let you talk about it. We were in the 1987 Pan Pacific Champ Champ Games. It was games back then in Brisbane, Australia. I heard you have an argument with the executive director, who's the CEO of USA Swimming. It was back then. It was executive director Ray Essek, and you were arguing. It was finger pointing and arguments. And I think I heard the word "we're eating hot dogs," and um, my help, my parents are helping me with rent. <laughs> and we, <laughs> I, it was something like that. And then you walked back to me, and I was, I was scared because I, you were, you were really angry, and you literally grabbed my shoulder and said, "You need to listen, and you need to pay attention because." We're not going to accomplish this, but your generation will get to, get to start it. And uh, we're having a meeting tonight with Ray, and you need to be there. Keep your mouth shut and listen. <laughs> Explain to our audience what you did and why everybody that earns money today in swimming is standing on your shoulders, Mapiandi's shoulders, and people from that era. Well, one, I appreciate that. Matt and I knew, you know, I'm going to start off from the, we knew we were doing something for the future. You know, that's true, caring about someone else. Matt Biondi and I put our dollars on the line. We got blackballed. I got blackballed specifically. Matt had enough to get, to get by, and that's cool. He's more of an Olympic hero. That's, that's fine. Uh, so the first thing, when, when I, my first paycheck, United States Swimming, this governing body, wanted 40% of my paycheck, 40%. And their reasoning was, because we allow you to be on the Olympic team. And my response to that, yes, very aggressively, was I thought all the workouts I did allowed me to be on the Olympic team, right? When you have people who are running organizations who haven't done what they're running, that's problematic, right? If you don't know what these kids are going through, what these athletes are going through, then how could you ever pretend to administer them, right? <laughs> like, what, what, what year was this? What year did they want the 40% cut? 1986. 1980, I graduated in 1986. Now we're starting to look for the future. We're starting to say, hey, we have no health insurance. 70% of the, of the income to United States Swimming was generated by the national team, 70%. Yet my insurance was zero. I was representing the United States with no insurance, right? I break it, whatever, right? And nobody seemed to care, right? And, and now it's an issue or, or things like that. So yeah, they took 40%. So how does that battle work? And I'll tell you, a lot of people don't understand. So United States Swimming has a convention. They have a convention on the last day of convention. Like I couldn't, so I got in there. They said, we're going to make a steering committee in 1985. We're going to make a national steering committee. And you know, that still exists, right? They made a steering committee at the convention that didn't have an Olympic athlete on it. That didn't have an athlete representation. And it was the steering committee for the Olympics. And they called me up, literally called me from the convention. I was in New Mexico. And they said, hey, you got to get down here. This is something, they're making some type of committee that's going to tell you what the Olympics are, what's going to happen at the Olympics. And so I got down there. I went straight to our athletes rep. He says, there's no way you can get on there. Uh, I will tell you in 24 hours, I was on the committee. You know, and that's politics, right? People, people go, oh, you know, I like politics. I'll play. I don't play politics. Nice. I went straight to my athletes rep and said, we need representation. Well, oh, we can't do that. I said, we need representation or we won't do it. And you know, I've, I've stopped. I didn't swim in meets 
because, hey, I'm not going to do that meet because it's not being done right. I'm not going to go to Italy to train for three weeks when I need to train on my own situation that, oh, in 2020, everybody understands that. They all have their train, you know. But in 1990s, when you were saying, hey, I think I want to do something myself. I think I want to do it my way because it's my way that got here. There's a lot of pushback. Um, so maybe I got a little bit off there. But, but yeah, you, did, no, you, you didn't get off there. Bring it, bring it back to a narrative. Bring it back to because I, I remember certain details. But by 1988, you you it's, it was a fight over whether or not you could earn money. And yeah, yeah. didn't you well, at, at a certain at a certain at a certain point you didn't you have to put it into a trust fund? You couldn't yes, have it. Put, yes, we had to put all of the money we earned into a trust fund, and they wanted us to send all of our contracts. So if we got a contract from Maverick Ranch Beef, USA Swimming wanted to know it. Oh, guess why? Because they were going to go contact Maverick Ranch Beef and say literally say. I can offer you the whole team. Why would you just want Matt or Tom? And Matt and Tom are going, hey, you know, I couldn't believe it. There was, you know, we had some great athletes prior, Rowdy, Steve. And their mindset was there's just enough money in swimming for Rowdy and Steve. And my mindset was, are you guys are so narrow-minded that I believe there's not only enough money for everybody, there's tons of money for everybody, including the organization, right? How simple-minded was our organization? You know, and then you get these coaches in the middle. They didn't help. You know, we had coaches coaching 14-year-old girls saying, don't listen to what those guys are saying. That's a distraction. And then when they're 20, the same girl swimming going, I want to make a living. Oh, I remember that. Tom was talking about that, right? They still don't have insurance. We still, you know, here I am, 56 years old. My body, this shoulder is done. I, I, USA Swimming, they don't care. They are, they are providing insurance now. They have been providing insurance for a while if you're on the national well, team. Okay. Well, national, so those swimmers, right? Yeah, yeah. See, but I was national. also thinking about the future even back then. I was like, you know, someday I'm going to get old, maybe. <laughs> you know, and, and you look at these great organizations, right? The NBA, great union, right? And my sons are always like, how can you not get a union in swimming? And I was like, because it's an individual sport. We're all so individual. I remember it was such a struggle to get Pablo and to get Janet to just sign on because they were the 200 butterflyers. They were the distance people. And it was so important for them to represent that side. And, and they're getting, you know, they're, they're young and they're getting all this influence from their coaches. And so it was a real struggle to get everybody on board. And that's what it would have taken. And yeah. uh, we got most of the people on board. We set some, we got United States swimming out of everybody's pocket. That was the most important thing. If you want to know what people like Michael Phelps, they wanted to go, they went from 40% to 10%. And I said, no, to 3%. And I said, no, what do you think 3% of Michael Phelps would be? Right. It, this is significant. When you start talking agency fees, then you start talking your taxes. These people were clueless going, you're yeah, taking yeah, all yeah. my money. If, if you're an athlete out there or, or a swim parent, and just to put this in a context, 40% off of the top is huge. Plus you have, you have to pay your manager anywhere from 15 to 20. Plus you might have to bring in an attorney who negotiates things and, and then you have to pay taxes. So at a certain Absolutely. point you're, you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, you're, you're making 33% on your dollar after, sure. after years and years and years of swimming, I do have okay, to drop can... this. I have to drop a nugget in here. Uh, right. Tom, was the man he has, he's had he's had the world record the longest of any any human being in history in the 50 meter freestyle but you you swam the mile didn't you when you were an age group i'm everything right you know and i think that's what gave me my confidence in the 50 i chose to swim the 50 
so many people, you know, there was a saying that came out of this club in Cincinnati. I, I think it's called the Marlins. And uh, it was when the going gets tough, the sprinters get out. Well, that put a big old chip on my shoulders because I don't remember anybody from Cincinnati Pepe Marlin beating me. <laughs> Mook Rodenball in the 100 bag, absolutely. But, uh, you know, yeah, that was so silly. That was so derogatory. And I saw that, you know, and I think I saw that at 14 when I was still swimming the mile. I, you know, I swam, I had to swim the, when I was a kid, everybody in our era, we were all compared to spits. So we had to swim all the events. And then in swimming, if you swim all the events and you're local, you have to win all the events. A lot of pressure. I had pressure from the, and that's fine. That's part of being an athlete. So I had to beat Billy Stapleton in the IMs all the way till like, you know, Billy Stapleton made the Olympic team. And if I didn't, I was failing. And I took that through my whole my career, right? We talk about 88 being a disappointment because I didn't win the 53. Yeah, what a failure, right? Like people, you know, those are incredible things. Yeah, right. Like I'm going, I, I step back a half a step and go a silver medal at the Olympics. That's so terrible, <laughs> right? With, 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 gold, with gold, with gold on the relays and being team captain. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's it's uh yeah, you're chopped liver, buddy. Yeah, but you know, you know as well as I do, you have to take a step out of swimming to realize that. Boy, you're in swimming. You know, I mean, I I think a lot of people would hang their hat on my hundred if I never swam the fifty free. I, I I was a bronze medalist at the world championships. Pretty cool, right? You know, so whoa, 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 I don't want to get what eighty six. Eighty six, yeah. Whatever is eighty six. There's a myth. There's a legend. We've covered it in a feature in the magazine. Yeah. Nineteen eighty six. Now I know you paid your dues. I know you've got your years and years of bases and age grouper. But the myth, the legend, is that Tom Jager basically took a nap for the summer, showed up at Worlds, and broke the world record in the fifty free. Got a bronze in the hundred free. True or false? Well, my bet. Yeah, had my best meet ever. And and it, you know that was a, a team dynamic too. We went to eighty six. It was in Madrid, Spain, and everybody got sick including myself i still have the little pill that stops off your system right we had these pills that we would because you everybody was so sick all the time and just diarrhea everywhere so they gave everybody these little pills uh but it was a similar situation i was tired of people complaining i was tired of people whining and uh so we got up to 100 free and i i swam my lifetime best 100 free <laughs> and and prior to that i hadn't done a serious workout in probably six months and you know, so I think when people talk about how much time can athletes take off, what's this pandemic going to affect, it's not going to affect them at all. The great ones, it, they'll look right through it. It's like the hurdle. And I, and I think I've said this before, but, you know, the great athletes are looking at this pandemic like it's just another thing. Okay, hey, I got to get through this. The next level are, yeah, they're all nervous. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. Those are the athletes I never worried about. You can watch them walk to the block and they're all worried, you know, and we talk about speed. And I think that's what I'm going to, going to relate into this is that that's where you get your speed is from your confidence and you get your confidence from the workouts, but you know, so yeah, distance My, you know, I earned the ability not to take crap from distance people. You know, when I was 14 or 15, I did 10, 500s. You don't want to tell these kids wouldn't even conceive this. 10 500s, uh, five on the 515, five on the five minutes, no break. I think I can hang up my distance lane for that. And, and, and it's exactly what my coach said. Hey, Tom, this is a pretty intense set. If you make this, you can start your way out of distance. You know, because I was like, hey, I want to, I want to be, I want to swim the 100 fly. I want to swim the 100 back, which I generally did. 
And then the, the 53 just was a, a natural and, and then I decided to own it. And I think we talked a little bit about that. I think a lot of sprinters in my era, they didn't want to recognize themselves as sprinters because it was like literally this saying was huge. When that, that's, going that's, it's almost inconceivable for people right now. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's important to know that that was a thing culturally in swimming and it was the 70s and 80s. We basically just swam everyone into the ground. There, there's something that happened and it is, it's, it's part of the reason you have your accolades, but I, I think of you as the godfather of speed because I got an education on sprint training and I'll never forget you're telling me, you know, uh, I'm coaching myself and the work that I do will crush you. The work that I do is legit painful and it was way ahead of its time. And so at what point did you start training yourself and what was, what were these speed workouts like? Well, you know, Balatory really, he, he gave his athletes rope, right? I mean, he let them, he gave his athletes rope and it was just tremendous. And I remember we came in and had a battle uh, and I was just like, hey man, I want to start taking more control of my swimming. And he was like, when you break a world record, you can do that. And so literally the day after I broke a world record, I came back to practice and I was like, hey coach, he goes, y'all, we're going to do this, this and this. And I said, you know, if I go 150 under 20 right now, not even getting in the water, I'm just going to do a dry, which I like. I always did. I swam a lot of dual mates without getting in. These guys would come in. They'd be so fast. They'd be so pumped up. And they go, well, he's not even warming up. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And so see you. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so Balator, you know, he comes in. He goes, I want you to do this, this, and this. And I said, I want to do 150 under 20, just straight off. And we argued and compromised. And then that became five. And then that five became 10 as we developed it. And then that 10 became to altitude. I started doing 10 at altitude, then 10 at altitude long course. And my top set, the, the, we used to do it every Wednesday. And in the beginning of the season, I would start off at, you know, long course, 50 meters from a dive, no breath at like 23.5, which is pretty good. You know, you could go make nationals with a 23.5 or make finals make finals at national. So in the beginning of the season, I could start off at 20, 23, five, but by number, uh, by number three or four, I was probably up to 26 already all out. I would go all out from one. I would have no, you know, and that's pretty hard to be honest with yourself. And you know that too, right? I mean, you talk about all these great athletes. The one thing they have common is very honest people, right? So when I gave a hundred percent, I gave a hundred percent. I knew it. Right. And so I would just kill myself. And so that, that curve would just get so slow, but I did it every Wednesday. And when I was at my peak and when I hit, my goal was to go start off at 22.8 and end up at 23.3 for 10. So a five tenth difference. And then I felt I could handle anything in the world. And that's exactly where I was able to get. And I do it once at the peak. And then that was the last time. Then I started coming down the hill. You know, I see that's a lot of problem with athletes these days. They, they do something and they forget about it. <laughs> oh, I have this great set. And then they think they have to do it again the next day and the next day. And, you know, yeah, maybe. But if as soon as I got something in my toolbox, as soon as I knew that, man, I can do 1050s faster uh, than it takes to get in the finals, you know, with five set, five minute break, then, yeah, when I go to prelims at the Olympic trials, you bet I can walk on the deck with my coffee and, every, and look nonchalant and everybody's like, What's that guy doing? I may get in the water. I may not because I'm already prepared. I got nothing to prove right here in warm-up. 
Coleman, does this sound like any type of training you've heard of? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is USRPT 30, 40 years ago. This is USRPT is, 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 is yeah, we, we, I, I knew, I, like, I've heard this before. Tom, Tom, Tom was doing this a long time ago. Uh, was, Dick Jokums was doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's why I say ballot coaching is so important. And a lot of coaches think coaching is important because I got to impact my kid. Ballatory was the exact opposite. We impacted Ballatory. We moved him. That was coaching. And, and he allowed us, he allowed us freedom to move around and to be ourselves. And, and that's how he became a great sprint coach and a great coach. He had some of the best distance swimmers in the, in the world. And, and Coach Ballatory was the head coach of UCLA, Coach Tom at college. Tom, when you were NC2A champion uh, twice in the 50, what were you? Three times. I think Three. like uh, seven times altogether NC2A. Did you go, did, did you go 19 – 15 in college? What did you go in college? Uh, in college, I think I went at 19.2. After college, I went 19.05. That, yeah. that record took for 16 years. That took right, 2006. My kid right. could have broke it. Rowdy Gaines talked about it. It's 19.05. Yeah, he, he was really impressed with that, like, like we all were. It's a um, the Coach Ballator. I swam for Ballator. Uh, I swam for Sticks for yeah. a summer and just trained with him because I wanted to stay fit and I was taking a year off, but I was still training. And I'll never forget him coming on deck in roller skates and a Speedo and a big sun hat. And, uh, and we were going to do a speed day that day. And I'm like, I see the genius of this man. But he's, um, he's, uh, he's a sweetheart. We all love him. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. People are feeling a lot of passion, a lot of intensity from you. Because back then, basically, history was being made. And athletes are standing on your shoulders. And they're standing on Matt's shoulders. And the... Yep, uh, yep. But uh, you, were, you were the tip of the spear. You were the leader. But, I mean, in terms of for, for people to understand, you know, you've had a, you have a long history in the sport. You've given a lot to the sport. And it's, uh, you coached at Idaho. You coached at Washington State. Now you're, is it, was it Aspen, what, swim club? Aspen swim yeah. club. Yeah, so we got a great. To understand, people might have a certain impression of you if they don't know you. So to understand, my, my, I also, you know, I know this intense leader. Who, who has these, these great moments in history, but I also know you as a man who understands lifestyle. Uh, you married a great woman, you had a great family, and uh, you really are, are, are great at balance in life in terms of like, uh, when I think of lifestyle as somebody who gets it, I think of you. And when I heard that you were coaching there in Aspen, I'm like, this guy's hiking. This guy is loving life. This is... Uh, what did you do when you were an elite to keep your head straight, to keep to, to, to stay balanced? Well, it's real important. I had, you know, I fortunately Becky was there with me, right? She was there to, to kind of balance that side. We can get so egotistical and so focused that if you don't have someone out there to crack that little, you know, to say, Hey Tom, don't take this so seriously. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, don't take it so seriously. And, and, you know, I grew up, swimming where I took it very seriously I didn't miss a workout I, I swam till I was 31 years old and I only missed five workouts and I never missed a workout till my junior year of college my dad was very serious about swimming <laughs> so I was very serious about swimming and I needed to find you know some when I started to find my own being my own self myself was out in the mountain myself was out you know why can't I enjoy this why can't you know, I still think today we have afternoon workouts and I still am so appreciative that I worked so hard when I was 20 to 30 that I can wake up here in the morning and not work hard at all. And I, I'm, I don't feel guilty. I feel 
I feel rested. I, you know, when I stopped coaching at, at Washington State, Becky and I took a, about a year off because we were just worn out. You know, I'm, I'm the same leader at, at, at Washington State as I was on the Olympic team. And, and as you know, that that takes something. It, it takes a little more than writing a few sets and trying to accommodate 18-year-old girls, right? It takes some oof. And, uh, you know, and so when I was done with that, I felt comfortable. I feel comfortable giving back to a small club. I, I feel comfortable with what I gave to the sport and and what I, what I'm doing it's uh well it's beautiful you've sent me pictures and uh I, I, well, I just I just know that you're happy because I know you know how to live and be happy the uh so let's let's pull so some let context now yeah, yeah. Say, you know, so, so everybody talks about my goal you know everybody kids want to think oh you must have wanted to be an Olympian you must have wanted you know you must have eat drink and sleep Olympian not at all you know I wanted to live on the side of a mountain in the West. And there we have it. So I've, you know, and now I just want to give back a little bit in my own way. Becky and I both want to give back and, and we, you know, this club is great. We're, we're giving back. Um, so I, I come in as a godfather. I, I, I don't know how closely you're following our current stars. Uh, when you see someone like a Caleb Dressel with a, with a vertical leap of 42 inches, you know, what yeah. goes through your head when you see a guy like that do what, he, do what he's done at world championships? You know, I think one, thank goodness for Michael Phelps. We needed more men in the sport. We needed more, you know, that I, I believe that follows the trend. You know, in our era, it was Janet Evans, right? And so it was hard to get the best athletes, the best male athletes in the sport, especially when there's not a dime, right? And that's fair. I, I'm not about money, but I think I am about respect and earning it. And so, you know, I think when Michael Phelps helped impact Caleb Dressel, right? Uh, I want to be great. I want to win that Olympics. I'm a great athlete, but I'm going to stay in swimming, right? I was... Uh, I was so proud of, uh, oh, the Peloton, uh, Matt Grievers. Oh, my God. You know, that made my day because, you know, Melvin, swimmers have an ego. We are the best shaped. We are, you know, I'm, I'm one of the best athletes on the planet. And it was so cool when, uh, when, he, when he went and killed everybody on the Peloton. He played with them. He was like, what do you guys want to do? You want to do an endurance? You want to do a sprint? Swimming, we got it all, right? You know, and so – Anyway, that's, I'm just proud to be a swimmer. I'm proud of our sport. I want, I can't, you know, we spent a lot of eight, last eight weeks doing dry land with our team and lecturing them that no one tells you you're a bad athlete because of course they went dry land and they were like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I was like, that's BS. That's someone else telling you, you can't do this. If you want to be a great swimmer, you got to be a great athlete. And, and our athletes bought in. So it was good. Did you, did you have a, a routine in terms of like goals and visualizing what you wanted to achieve in the sport? Just purely swim nerd in the water times. Yeah, I think I went, you know, I think I, I asked my team the other day, I said, when you guys push off the wall and you're trying to do your streamline, do you think about like that person next to you is Matt Biondi and then you just got to get ahead of them. And it was interesting because about three or four of them said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other ones were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, that's the difference between an athlete, right? Like, you know, people, visualization, you don't have to stop your day and lay down and have somebody talk to you about visualization. My visualization, when, when my heart was pumping at 160 and I wanted to give up, my visualization was thinking about Matt not giving up. I tell you that. I have one question on this topic. Uh, so you're talking about Matt Biondi, you talk about uh, swimmers having ego. 
And I think ego is something that we do not have enough of in this day and age in swimming. And, and you and Matt brought that um, with the Dash for Cash, but you guys had an intense rivalry, but you also had a healthy relationship. You know, you guys were friends. And I think people, I think swimmers now are afraid to, to bring any sort of um, fierce rivalry into the sport because I think they'll get backlash, you know. People will be like, oh, you, you have to be nice. You can't be mean. And I don't think people understand there's a healthy balance between, you know, having a friendship and having a rivalry. Uh, what, what would you suggest we can do to bring some ego into the sport? Well, you know, it was interesting watching the, uh, the Michael Jordan last dance with my boys and, and Becky and, and Becky and I describing that, that era that we grew up in. Michael and I are the same age, right? And, and in that era, sports was sports. You know, and it was a business on the court, but off the court, man, you could be great buddies. You saw that, you know, the, the players are back in then they were going out with opposing players the day before. And that's fine. Right. But man, they were brutal on the court. And Matt and I were that way, too. And, you know, so I, I think, yeah, I think this I could not live in an era with, uh, with social with social media. I so many people were so opinionated about what Matt and I did that it would have defeated me. I, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And so I'm, you know, until today, this is my like third Zoom. I'm not a tech person because I don't need somebody from the middle of some place saying, oh, that guy didn't work hard enough. If, if he would have just done more, would he have broke, won the gold medal, right? You know, and I think that's what people are feared of. They're feared, of, they're afraid of having an opinion, you know, or, hey, I want to beat, uh, you know, Dressel. I'm going to be the next person to beat Dressel. You know, those young sprinters aren't going to say that, but the one that does, that's the one I'm going to put my money on. Hey, do you love swim swim as much as I do? Do you want hours of endless practice footage, race video, and a guide to the best pancakeries in the country? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel below and follow us on social media at Swim Swam News on Twitter and Instagram. If we get a million followers, I might just eat a million pancakes. Only one way to find out.